with the world of comic books and pop culture ever-changing. How are fans meant to keep up with the trends in the industry? Is the new event from the Big Two worth reading? What's the story on that show from that network about that hero from that comic book? Can I trust a movie review from someone who hasn't even read the source material? We have the answers you seek. These are my Big Fat Pull List's current issues. Welcome to another edition of Current Issues, where your hosts take a long, hard look at the world around them and discuss what they think are the most important news items going on in comic books and pop culture. I am Mr. X. I am Dr. Impact. And reporting on location are... Smurfy. And Marv Danger here. Our top stories for this episode include a discussion regarding the return of comic books back in shops, DC Comics' decision to break ties with Diamond Publishing, the unfortunate passing of the legendary Denny O'Neill, and a revisit to a few of our past episode topics. Comics return to comic shops, and nothing will ever be the same. All right, gentlemen, we're all comic collectors, and I know we're all happy that we're finally able to go back to our shops and pick up books every Wednesday, but things have changed. The world has changed. How so? <laughs> well, glad you asked, <laughs> the way things have changed is the fact that uh, publishers are now limiting the amount of books that they actually put out weekly and monthly. Because, well, let's face it, before, there were a lot of freaking books being put out every month. I felt like it was the wild, wild west. Like, they were just like, how much can we cram down everyone's throats a week and month, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. In, in, yeah. in a way, it did feel like that. It was like, there's so much out there, and what do you get? What do you pick up? How do you know what's, what's you know, a new book that's coming out? How do you know it's even worth picking up? Or do you go with the old faithful stuff like, oh, well, DC and Marvel have treated me well. I'll just keep on picking up the same old stuff from them. And I feel like COVID and quarantine kind of helped press a reset button. Or at least a pause. Well, yeah, definitely a pause, but but even a possible reset button for some people because it gave me personally time to go look at all everything that I'm collecting out of all of this stuff, why am I collecting this? Mm. Am I collecting it because I'm a collector or am I collecting it because I enjoy reading the book? And funny enough, I found a handful of books that I was just collecting because I was collecting. Mm. What? And my, well, uh, I have uh, dropped the boom studios, Buffy, the vampire slayer and angel book because I originally picked up the book because of nostalgia, of course. Because you're a big fan of the old shows. Right, right. I was a big fan of the old material, and I enjoyed seeing it uh, adapted for modern day. But it seemed like as soon as about six, seven issues in, instead of treating it like the the you know awesome property that it is, it turned into, hey, this is just another comic book. Because they do a crossover immediately. I mean, 
Angel got three or four issues in his own ongoing before he was crossing over with Buffy. That was going to be my next question. Like, how many issues into Buffy and Angel is it? Like, how far have they gotten? Uh, Let's see. Buffy is in her mid-teens right now. I want to say, like, issue 15 just came out or is about to come out. Uh, Angel, uh, which has now been renamed Angel and Spike... (laughs) <laughs> already being okay uh, right yeah i mean we're two years into these books being out and they've already put out all of these characters and it's almost like we're gonna skip all of this this character development and just get characters out there hmm. and that's what i i mean when i say it just went comic book on me right because it was like let's put as much stuff out as we possibly can into these books and i'm like uh, you know what? I'll go back and rewatch the old show or I'll reread the old stuff from Dark Horse. How many puppet issues have there been? <laughs> None. Well, then they're not taking it seriously at all. Although I think there might have been one puppet variant cover released for an issue of Angel. But that's that's besides the point. The thing is, though, now comic books are coming back, but they're coming back in in slower doses. And it's not just Wednesday as new comic book day anymore, folks. We now have two days that encompass new comic day because DC said sayonara Mm -hmm. to Diamond Publishing. Total game changer. And now we get DC Comics out on Tuesdays Mm -hmm. and everything else out on Wednesday. Yeah. Sorry, did you say that DC stuff's coming on Tuesdays now? Yeah. 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 Okay. It has been for like the last month. Yeah, yeah I, still, I still keep checking on Wednesdays. So yeah, uh, no, no wonder. Yeah, um, and honestly, even with COVID, I know a lot of people. I used to pick my books up Wednesday at noon every week. Now I'm a Thursday at whatever time I can take my lunch break, and I honestly, it works for me. The shop's just about empty. I can peruse without you know worrying about being within six feet of someone, and. Both Marvel and DC and IDW and Boom and all the others are there. And I think that, to me, is the ideal way to do it until things get back to normal. Yeah, for me, I have two shops that I visit. One shop, I pre-order everything. So literally, I can walk in there whenever I want, whenever they're open, and just say, yeah, I'm here for my books. They hand it to me, and I walk out. Mm-hmm. That's it. I mean, that's that's the the bare minimum of my exposure to the public there. And then my other shop, because I live so far away from it now, I wait about two weeks before I go and visit and then pick everything up at once. So I'm not going every Wednesday. I'm going every other Wednesday. That's fair. And, and I will continue to do that uh, until things get back to some semblance of normal. And who knows how long that'll take. Right. Right, exactly. And another thing my shop, I forgot to mention is offering is, if you don't feel comfortable coming in, they have a curbside pickup. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's incredibly convenient, too. I still, uh, I, I, I look at Tuesday night, I see what I'm picking up Wednesday still, and then I go whenever I can, either Wednesday night or Thursday, pick up everything. So nothing's really changed for you. Yeah, uh, the only thing that's changed is I can go Wednesday afternoon now and get my books, no problems, avoid the crowds. Okay. Yeah. I pretty much uh, try to wait now every two to three weeks. One of the shops that I go to, one of the same shops that Mr. X goes to, and they handle everything as a pre-order. They don't even do pull lists uh, at this shop anymore. And everything is a pre-order. You go onto the website and you 
you pay for it in advance. And when it comes in, they just set it to the side. So unless there's something that I'm really looking forward to, I have now gotten into the practice of, well, I'll just wait two or three weeks, which for someone like me who has perpetually been behind in my monthly reading, you know, I got fully caught up before new books came back. And now I go and pick them up every two or three weeks. So every two or three weeks, I'm always two or three weeks behind. Hmm. That's not bad. Uh, as someone who has had time to do it, I'm just now getting caught up on all my X-Men. And ditto. It is an undertaking. So I I, I can understand the, the idea between before being two or three weeks behind to give yourself time to catch up and then repeat the cycle. Well, let's talk about the, the fact that we did have the pause button pressed on us where publishing was concerned and the grinding halt of comic publication now that it's coming back but it's coming back so slowly uh before we started recording smurfy was actually talking about he was flipping through the last issue of previews that had come out that had a marvel preview in it for june for the month of june all the books of coming out in june and (laughs) and you were talking about how how we were supposed to be hip deep in Marvel's big event empire. Yeah. Like we should have been in the middle of every story arc empire had to offer right now. Mm. Right. Right. Uh, but coming this week, uh, the very first issue, the first one shot yeah, of zero. empires coming out, yeah, uh, Avengers issue zero for empire. So we are now in this nice slow molasses like crawl to get these events. And I, I have to say folks, I'm okay with that because before I would have been bombarded every single week with trying to get all of the ongoings, the tie-ins, and then the, the, the one shots that go for this epic event, because it ties into two super teams that I'm collecting the Avengers and the fantastic four. So of course I'm getting empire. It affects two of the books that I'm picking up. And now I can take my time. Well, and the other thing that's nice too is, especially with Marvel, I think Marvel really seems to be the ones that are really focused on doing this, but there are many, many books that have been removed that were solicited as a release for June back when the previous previews came out. And now when this most recent previews came out, which was what, two weeks ago, I think a week or two ago, something like that those books have been removed from solicitations. And that seems to be the case with a lot of things where they are cutting back. And Mr. X, you said something about it at the beginning of this segment. Uh, They are slowly releasing titles, but they are also cutting them back. And that helps because then you can get what you want to get and not feel like... Overwhelmed. Yeah, right. Overwhelmed. Thank you. That's a great. Yes, perfect. Overwhelmed both physically and financially. Yes. Right. Question for you three guys. Do you think they're doing that because they know that like people out there are hurting and no one's really been working for a while and people are still kind of afraid to go out and they're like, we'll introduce everything slowly. Or do you think it's because they had to shut down publication for like a month and now they're like, well, you know, we got to pick back up and it's like a train. They're building up steam. Maybe a little of column A, a little of column B, maybe. No, yeah, that's what I think it is. 
because I've also noticed there's a lack of a million variant covers. Yeah. And I absolutely appreciate that. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah. still out there. They're still out there, they're but they're not out, as but I still, prominent. I yeah. I don't feel like for my random book, there's six covers. Like, <laughs> right. Sir Empire comes out tomorrow. Just wait. Oh, I'm not picking Empire up. Even though I'm picking up X-Men and Fantastic Four, I'm not going to pick up Empire. Mm. I will wait I'll, for the trade. I'll get, I'll get Empire. Well, I mean, technically, I'll be picking it up. Is it, well, is Empire its own book, or is it in X-Men and Fantastic? Uh, well, actually, yeah. yes. It's its its own book. Yeah. It's, so there's the miniseries, but then there's a miniseries for Fantastic Four along with the Fantastic Four issues that will tie into it because the miniseries will actually have the Fantastic Four while as the ongoing book from what uh, from what I saw in the solicitations before COVID hit uh, it's Wolverine, Spider-Man, Hulk. It's, it's the new Fantastic yeah. Four Hell watching yeah. out for the kids. And that is still, you know, like I, I mentioned, there was the previews that was released recently and uh, about a week or two ago, and this was a special edition of previews that was put out. It does not, there was not a Marvel separate book. Marvel was put into the primary previews. And, and it, uh, there was no DC one because DC no longer being with diamond didn't have a previous book, but in that previews issue, the one where Marvel is in the actual previews book itself, the Fantastic Four Empire tie-ins, those are still solicited. Those are still a thing. Okay, good, good, good. Well, if they're bringing back the OG secondary Fantastic Four team, I'll pick that up. I love those <laughs> books. Well, yeah, but that's well, actually that'll in be, the ongoing. Yeah, that'll that's be in the, in the Fantastic Four oh, book. okay. All right, I'm with you now. Yeah. So, yeah, so that that stuff is still solicited. That is still there. What I find very interesting about this is, you know, as collectors, we we all four of us, I think, at some point in time depend on previews. We depend on whether we get the entire previews or just the Marvel supplement edition or the DC supplement edition. Well, there is no DC Supplement Edition now, and DC's not even going to be in the regular book. Now, the DC Previews magazine that started up about, what, a a year and a half ago? It is now an online thing only. Oh, wow, okay. And, uh, yeah, and I, I, I have yet to see it. I have yet to look at it, so I don't know if it's any different. But I have heard that it will be treated more as a digital first magazine in the sense that there will be the solicitations for whatever is in that, that month's order, but there will also be articles in it about writers or artists or upcoming events. So, you know, that's a, that's a fairly decent sized change. And a lot of that is because they are no longer going through diamond, which I don't necessarily think is a terrible thing. Right. But the other side of that coin is there's now talk that Disney and Marvel may be following suit and doing their own distribution. And if that happens, how will that affect Marvel? And it will, I can tell you now, it will almost assuredly, absolutely 
destroy Diamond. That'll be the end of Diamond if Marvel goes and goes and does their own thing. And from there, you have to think of, okay, Marvel obviously has the money to do this if they wanted to. And it sounds like they do. What about everybody else who needs Diamond? Like, that's a scary thought because IDW, I mean, I assume they're doing okay financially. I don't know. I'm not a stock investor. But man, if I lost my Ghostbuster book, I'd be pretty sad about that. Well, and that's that's another well, question. It won't it won't necessarily hinder them. Those companies will just find different distribution routes because you know, with DC doing their distribution separately, they're not doing their own. They're doing a little bit of their own personal distribution, but they're they're also working with two new distribution companies and. Forgive me, but I forget the name of them because they're too new for me to have committed to memory. But there will be other options. If Diamond goes under, there will be options. We'll still get IDW. We'll still get Image. It'll come from a different distribution uh, center. Nobody is going to be able to be big enough to do what Marvel is talking about doing and being their own distribution fully. Uh, That's a totally separate thing. The better flip side, the good flip side of all of that, though, if you think about it, is that if, let's say, Marvel pulls away and Diamond does not go under, but they completely reduce, they massively reduce on on what they pick up and who they distribute, there are still two or three other distributors out there now, new new companies. That is two or three times more the opportunity for indie companies and indie creators to have distribution outlets to comic shops. Uh, An indie company and an indie creator could have signed with another distribution company, but no comic shop's going to look at that. But if they sign with a company that DC is also signed with, well, the comic shop has to look at that because there's no way the comic shop can operate without dc you got to have dc and marvel not even not even if they're looking at the one that that's going to dc if if diamond goes under all of these shops are going to have to look at all of these multiple right publishers to get all of the actual stock that they need to to supply to their customers right which means you now have a better chance right of of being one of those smaller guys that that gets a little bit of attention Right. So yeah, there's always a good side and there's a bad a good side, side to all of this. Yeah, stuff. the 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 bigger bad side about that though, then as you're saying, is all of these comic shop owners now have to uh, sign up with three or four different distribution companies. Yeah, and now they're paying three or four times the fees to be a part of that, and that is going to drastically affect the amount of shops that stay in business. Yeah. There's a little bit of good and a little bit of bad, but we want to know what are your thoughts on DC Comics breaking away from Diamond and the possibility of Diamond Publishing going the way of the Dodo? Do you think it's a good idea? Do you think it's a bad idea? We want to know your thoughts. Head on over to our website at mybigfatpulllist.com and tell us what you think. The Passing of a Legend. So sadly, uh, this is a bit of a, a downer topic for us to go into here, but uh, we're going to try to keep it keep it positive and, um, and, and focus on the good of it as much as we can. Sadly, on June 11th of 2020, we were all informed on 
social media of the passing of the legendary Denny O'Neill. We're talking about one of the all-time greats. I mean, an absolute icon, you know, and, and as far as contributions to the industry and, and to storytelling and to characters, almost, almost right there with Stan Lee. Not quite, because right. nobody is Stan Lee, but pretty damn close. I mean, the amount of things that this guy contributed to the world of comics uh, is just, it's just mind blowing. Very sad. And in, in looking up more about him uh, on the passing, one of the most remarkable things that I learned, and I I can't believe I didn't know this, but I I didn't until now, is that Mr. Denny O'Neill was born and raised in St. Louis, Missouri. Yep. Which yep, is, yep, yep. for those who don't know, where we record our show. It's, we are all from St. Louis. He even went to the same high school as Smurphy. That's fantastic, really. It, it scares me that Smurphy is referring himself to in the third person. <laughs> right, don't be afraid. Oh, maybe Denny would have been happy with that because of his flowery language that he would put into, into comics. So maybe, maybe that's a good thing to refer to yourself that way. I didn't know that, Smurphy. That's that's pretty amazing. I do know that he graduated from St. Louis University, so that's that's pretty amazing. I wasn't even aware that that he stayed in St. Louis for as long as he did. I also learned that after he got out of the Navy, I think it was the Navy, he got a job. I want to say as a as a copy editor, perhaps in Cape Girardeau, Missouri, which for those who don't know is. Oh, Mr. X, what would you say? Cape Girardeau is about maybe an hour and a half away from here, maybe two. Yeah, hour and a half away from St. Louis, yeah. So that's probably been the most amazing thing that I've learned about him recently. But as a result, I don't know about you guys, but I have gone back and and either read for the first time or reread some of the more famous stories that he has written or had written over the years, mostly uh, from DC. I haven't read much of his, uh, his other stuff, but uh, I'm, I'm anxious to read some of that. I also just discovered that he wrote X-Men, I think it was 64 or 65, before the, the reprint started, long before Giant Size X-Men number one, you know, when the, the sales were starting to decline. Right. And, and I guess he was responsible for bringing Professor X back to life yes. for the first yes. time. The first time for, Professor X for came the back first to life. Time. <laughs> the very first time. But not the last time. No, well, no, no. no. no de- definitely not, but definitely the first time. Yeah, that was something that was new to me. I, I didn't know that that was him. More and more people associate his work with uh, with DC, but he has done a lot of stuff with Marvel as well. Yeah, and that's that's the stuff I'm not as familiar with. I am, of course, very familiar with his Green Lantern, Green Arrow stuff. Ah, yes. That, I think, is probably what he will be remembered for most. I think that and and his run on Batman. I was just going to say, and if not that, Batman. (laughs) Yeah. The man revolutionized Batman into the character that we know of today. And everyone credits it as Frank Miller because of Dark Knight Returns. And I don't want to... I don't want to take anything away from Dark Knight Returns and Crazy Uncle Frank before he got <laughs> too crazy, um, because that certainly was major. But 
the issue, and I just read this earlier today on the DC Universe app, the issue prior to Denny O'Neill taking over Batman, and uh, I, I forget now what the issue was, Batman 290 two or, or 390 or something, I don't know, anyway, the, the issue prior was not necessarily goofy, but you could tell that there was still a lot of heavy influence from the Adam West television series. Right. You know, the issue, the very first issue that he wrote, it was like night and day. It was like a different Batman. Even though it was still pre-crisis, it was still the 70s, early 70s. And it was still, on some level, hokey compared to today. It started to establish the Batman who hides in the shadows, the Batman who is a detective, the Batman who is obsessive yeah. about the path that he created. Now, yes, Frank Miller took that and expanded on it and made it what we know now, but the beginnings of the Batman that that we see as what Batman is, it's really Denny O'Neill. I mean, that's that's it. He he sort of took Batman back to the basics, but he made the character a well-rounded, obsessive, kind of crazy vigilante without going too crazy because it was the 70s. You, you know, you're not going to push the envelope that far at that time. All right. And I've, I've read a couple of those uh, over the years, and I reread a few of them in the last uh, week or so. And one of them in particular that I had never read, I had never read an issue of, I want to say it was Batman 251, I think, where it was the first Joker story after they switched Batman from the campiness over to what Denny had kind of done. So this was kind of the first post-Batman TV show Joker. And he brought the Joker back to the psychotic, erratic, chaotic killer. Again, the Joker that we know of now. And it's a it's a story, I want to say it's called The Joker... The, the Joker's Five-Way Revenge. Five-Way Revenge, that's it. Thank you, yes. And it's a... I, I, that's one I had never read, and I just read it. What an amazingly great story. And a done-in-one. You know, it's every bit as good, I would say... As Killing Joke, very different, totally different kind of story, but every bit as good of a Batman Joker story as Killing Joke in one single 23-page issue. That's an impressive amount of praise you're giving. It's it's a great book. It's a great book. Again, it's 1973. It's not without its, its datedness. Yeah, it just, what an influential guy, you know. He's the man who's responsible for John Stewart. Yeah, he and, created John Stewart. Yep, yep. He created Rachel Ghoul. He created. Oh yes, God, how did I forget about that? Yes, one of my favorite Batman villains, Rachel Ghoul. I would say at least, at the very least, one of the ten greatest Batman villains in the in the gallery. And Talia, of course. Oh well, and, and yes, of course. And he edited the Batman line for a very very long time. I, I don't know how far along he was the editor i don't i don't know if he was editing the batman line of books when nightfall came about but i know he was at least editing them 
into the early 90s. And he was also very influential in the Armageddon 2001 debacle at DC, which was also something that I, I guess I kind of knew that, but didn't really, because when I first read that story years, 20 some odd years ago or whatever, I guess I wasn't really paying attention. (laughs) I found it very interesting that they brought him in to help write the final issue of that storyline. And that, you know, that's a very famous storyline because of the, the leak, you know, the, the, the big mystery of who becomes monarch and goes crazy. And it was supposed to be Captain Adam and someone leaked the information early. And rather than play the story out the right way, DC decided we want the shock value. So quick, change it to Hawk from Hawk and Dove, even though there was nothing to support the change. And (laughs) absolutely nothing. I mean, it makes absolutely no sense, but they wanted the shock over the story. And I guess they brought in Denny O'Neill to help them write that, which I, that, that was kind of a new piece of information to me. So just so influential. Uh, Pistol, I know that you're a big fan of the question. Correct. Something I I discovered recently, and again, I I guess I kind of knew in the back of my head, Denny O'Neill revolutionized the question in the 80s. Really? With a very, I, I guess, a very famous run of, of the book. And uh, I, I'm very curious to now get on the app, the DC app, and, and go back and read his his question run. And he, from what I understand, is the one that is responsible for really taking the question into the, the darker uh, detective and, and more philosophical route. Uh, huh. The character. Yeah, um, I also have the app. I will. Now that we've talked about this, my my interest is peaked because I'm currently reading, and I'm not going to talk about this later. But uh, the question. Um, oh, the current question, Black Label book. Yeah, the deaths of Vic Sage. Yeah, yeah. I'm super enjoying it. So I'll go back and reread these. Yeah, same here. Yeah, I'm I'm very interested in uh, in checking that out, and especially too because those are written at a time when writing style was changing. And one of the things that I've, I've learned in rereading and and discovering some of his older stuff is how he, he was still writing within the era and, you know, rather than just a caption box that says, meanwhile, in Metropolis, you got like a full flowery description (laughs) of, of the location. And he, he painted pictures with words that accompanied the illustration that they were put in, but he did not do it in the cheesy, ridiculous fashion of the sixties. And I, I find myself reading these now and missing that, you know, I miss that approach to writing in comics today. And don't get me wrong. I love all the other stuff. I love, you know, the focus on art and I love the style of today, but I do find myself missing the prose that someone like Denny O'Neill, who, you know, had a, a, a master's in English, uh, I find myself missing the prose that they add and, and thereby I find myself not getting my full money's worth all the time, mm. you know, out of a book. I mean, boy, again, like I said, that issue of Batman 251 every bit as good as killing joke in one single issue 
Yeah. You got you got so much in every panel without compromising art. And of course, you know, Neil Adams, that's hard to top. But, you know, you don't compromise the art, and yet you also don't sacrifice the writing. I just, I really, I really, I've always liked Denny O'Neill, and um, I feel bad that it took his passing for me to do a little bit more digging into his work. But I, just in the last week or so, I, I've gotten such a great, appreciation for his work and and really want to dive into more of it yeah yeah well and i know you're more of the dc guy i'm more of the marvel guy Mm -hmm. his marvel contributions are are just as prominent i I mean he was a regular he was a regular writer on iron man and daredevil i mean in iron man he helped create obadiah stain yeah the first villain of the mcu Yep, Obadiah Stane, Ironmonger, and was also responsible for bringing Tony Stark back into the whole alcoholism frame of mind, making Jim Rhodes having to be Iron Man. That's right, that's right. He had a hand in creating the the Silver Centurion armor and and, and that whole run. And then uh, during uh, his uh, few appearances writing uh, for Amazing Spider-Man, he helped create Madam Web. Oh, now that I did not know. And Hydro Man with John Romita Jr. Okay. Wow. I mean, how how influential for one writer? I mean, unbelievable his well, his footprint on the industry. Here's here's an even bigger footprint because this one encompasses comic books, television, and film, and touches all of our interests. When he was working for Marvel. And they were developing the Transformers comic book. Ah, I know where you're going with this. Yep. Denny O'Neill is credited as the person who named Optimus Prime. That's right. Didn't he also have a a major hand in not not fine-tuning necessarily or writing, but developing the backstory for the Transformers? Didn't don't didn't I read something where he at least for the Marvel Comics Mm -hmm. series? Okay, so that wasn't that wasn't me dreaming that. <laughs> no, no. Okay. Yeah, I mean, my gosh, what a what a an incredible individual and what a a great loss for the comic industry. But thankfully because of collected editions and back issue bins and things like the DC Universe app and Comicsology he will never go away. His impact will be felt on the industry forever. And, uh, and, and we will always be able to revisit his work. Let's just take a short moment of silence for Denny O'Neill. And that's where we want to ask you, what are your all time favorite Denny O'Neill stories? Please go to all of our social media outlets, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, you know the you know the drill. And please share with us the stories that you like, the stories that Denny O'Neill contributed to the industry that affected you as either a reader or a collector or even just as a, a human being. A revisit to some of our back issues. Correct me if I'm wrong. You're wrong. Well, obviously, I, uh, I'm i not, but I appreciate it. <laughs> Dr. Impact, I hear, 
you might or might have actually watched Birds of Prey. I might or might have? Yeah, that's too Because I, I know you did. <laughs> yes, I, I not only uh, watched it, but bought the Blu-ray. Interesting. How much did, did you pay full price for it? Or did you get it on a sale? I want to say it may have been on sale, but not by a lot. I You know, maybe $18, $19, something like that. Okay, all right. Something to that effect. And it was one of those those cases where I was curious. Um, I knew I was going to buy it eventually anyway. Whether I liked it or not, I was going to have to add it to the collection. I mean, I own Suicide Squad, for crying out loud. Of course I was going to buy this. So what'd you think? Like, joking aside, you know, whatever. What did you think? I'll tell you this. It is not without its issues, certainly. Mm -hmm. It has some major problems. However, I actually enjoyed myself quite a bit more than I think I ever anticipated enjoying myself watching it. It is actually a very fun movie. And I think my biggest complaint about the film is that they essentially destroyed the character of Cassandra Kane. Well, th- that isn't even the, that isn't Cassandra Kane. That's not no, that's, that's not Cassandra Kane at all. That's way off. They, they mm. should rename her something. Completely way different. way off is is being kind. I thought they tried doing a name drop without doing any research into the character. That was yeah. I mean, it was it, everything that Cassandra Kane is. It, it's it's almost the opposite. Yeah. In this film, so I, I had severe issues with that while watching it. But overall, I enjoyed myself with it. Uh, I'm not a big fan of the character of Harley Quinn. I like her when she shows up in the old animated series. And when she is the pseudo-sidekick foil for Joker in in those comics. Outside of that, I'm not a real big fan of the character in general. So uh, the fact that I actually even enjoyed her in the film, I, I am a big fan of Margot Robbie, but just not the character. Yeah, I, I was surprised at how much I did actually enjoy it. But right. I, I also was, uh, it, it also did feel like, quick, let's make something that cashes in on Deadpool. It, it felt like DC's, or I shouldn't say DC, I should say Warner Brothers. It felt like Warner Brothers' attempt to take something that they can do a Deadpool movie of their own with. Agreed. And, it, and, and that's fine, you know. I mean, if you're going to do that with anybody, I guess it's Harley Quinn. And it, and it makes it enjoyable. My only other major issue is that, uh, is that the film is called Birds of Prey, which is almost a hundred percent misleading. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think I talked about this the first time is that Cassandra Gain could have been completely cut out of that movie and minor changes. Harley Quinn swallows a diamond. Harley Quinn gets arrested and you can still have her break out of jail in that whole spectacular fashion and really nothing changes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's super fun. Like good. Okay. Yeah. I could give you good. But really, like, you know, I went in there expecting Suicide Squad level. The only It was better than that, though. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, by far. The only Suicide Squad level thing that I thought was there was Cassandra Kane. 
because Margot Robbie's having fun. Yep. It definitely, Ewan McGregor's having a oh, blast. Oh, yeah, he's having a blast. Oh, and he's he's amazing in the film. He, oh, he's so it up. It great. He's got a knife and fork in each scene, and he's just <laughs> chewing that scenery, loving it. But but not in an obnoxious way. No. no. Yeah. Like a fun, super fun way. Yeah. Enjoyable to watch way. I, I mean, I don't really like what they did with Zaz, but like I'm of the mind that these aren't always going to be comic perfect, so I'll take what I'm given, and if I don't like it, I just don't like it. I did not care for Zaz. Mm-hmm. Yep, I'm with you. Whatever, man. Like, I feel Zaz is less of a betrayal than C- Cassandra Kane was. Yeah, Absolutely. I thought that, was, that was a big poo-poo on the screen. Right. But other than that, yeah. I'm Zaz like, yeah, at least on. at least looks like Zaz. You know, when he right. finally takes his shirt off, he's at least covered in scars. Right. It's not the Zaz I wanted. And honestly, the brief, very brief cameo of Zaz in the Christopher Nolan movies was far more comic accurate even though it wasn't comic accurate it was it was closer right but um but that's fine he's covered in scars and and you know mm-hmm. it wasn't the zazz i wanted but it works but it, it cassandra kane it's not even close right it's not even, I, yeah i feel they took zazz and they gave him a purpose you know what i mean rather than just cassandra kane being shoehorned into here he had a purpose to why he was there he he had a relationship he had a character he wasn't just the MacGuffin that you needed to get the MacGuffin from. Right. Oh, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Uh, I did. Really- I did. And I and I would recommend it to uh, just about anyone, really. And, and in fact, my wife, who is not a uh, comic book person, but she loves comic book movies. And, and she will ask me how things compare to the comics. And whether it's true to the source material or not, she kind of doesn't care because she doesn't know the source material. But... She is an actress and a writer and has done a lot of film work. So she can tell when a movie is bad as a movie. And she'll be the first one to tell you that Suicide Squad is crap, whether it's like the comic or not. A bad movie is a bad movie. It doesn't matter. A bad movie is a bad movie. But, you know, she, she watched Harlequin not wanting to like it. You mean Birds of Prey? It should have been called Harley Quinn. Yes, it should have been called Harley, and that's what I call it. Yeah, so it should have been Harley Quinn and the Birds of Prey. Yes, right. Yeah. Well, she yeah she watched it not wanting to like it, and she loved it. She said it it might that and Shazam might be her favorites of the DC movies. I mean, I was like, okay, high bar, but it's still something. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's not a good movie uh, by any means, but it is enjoyable, and I would recommend it. So, Doctor, when you poo-pooed all over this before, are you taking back the poo-poo? That sounds painful, but, um, and I'm, I'm not... How does that work? Are you getting it shoved back in? <laughs> I, just, oh, I just want to hear the doctor say I take back the poo-poo. That's all, that's all I want to hear. <laughs> well, for, in his defense, because I was right there with him, right. uh, we weren't really poo-pooing it. We okay. were just like, we'll watch it eventually, but we're not going to go to the theater and watch it because... Eh. Yeah. It doesn't appeal. Now he has watched it and he's like, oh wow, okay. I was wrong. It's actually enjoyable. So okay, I don't well, think he I don't think he 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 has to give anybody an apology or take back oh, any poo poo. I'm not asking for an apology, just take back poo poo. Yeah. Uh so I think Okay, okay, Smurfy, just for you. He just wants to hear it. Yeah. <laughs> I take back the poo poo. <laughs> Thank you. That's all that's it. Well, I'm excited for you to start watching Harley Quinn on the DC app 
because that is terrific. Oh, that's what I hear. Yeah. Um, I'm wrapping up season two this Friday. Well, kind of in that regards, actually, Dr. Impact, something Mr. X brought up that I saw at the local comic store inspired me to pick it up. And that's issue one of Dr. Aphra from the Star Wars line. Mm. I actually dove into it today in, in preparation for this. And I don't know what I was expecting, but I enjoyed what I read. It was a solid read. And I know nothing of Dr. Aphra just from what I heard from our Star Wars episode, which will be linked in the description. I had fun, man. I'm definitely, this is, I, I, this is definitely on my pull list now. It's a good character so far. It's got a fun cast that I've liked. Right out the gate, the first issue hooked me with real good storytelling of introducing these characters and introducing the villain and making all their motives clear. And I dig it. I I dig the Indiana Jones style. Essentially, that's what she is. She's Indiana Jones. And Hmm. I'll never not turn down a well-written Indiana Jones style book. And the art is terrific as well. It's uh, one of the the books during the the first volume. It was one of the books that I was actually upset that I had to drop because of, you know, my pocketbook. Because Marvel was putting out so many Star Wars titles that after the Doc Aphra book crossed over with the main Star Wars book, it was right after that I was like, okay, I have to stop here because I can't afford this anymore. I'm currently in the process of trying to hunt down the trade paperbacks so that I can finish volume Mm. one and then hopefully jump into volume two, because I'm so far behind. I'm afraid that I'm going to be completely lost if I were to pick up issue one of volume two. Uh, But it was definitely a character that I enjoyed. She had a great supporting cast. The supporting cast has changed from, from volume to volume. I think the only person that uh, uh, has remained from the earlier issues of volume one to this one is her Wookiee bounty hunter sidekick. Yes, he is still in this. Hmm. But uh, before that, she actually had two droids, one protocol droid and one astromech. They were essentially evil versions of C-3PO and R2-D2. I mean, that's the easiest way to describe them. They were evil versions. They <laughs> wanted to hurt people. They, okay. And they had ways of killing people. Right. So many ways of killing people. Hmm. Well, as somebody who didn't know anything about it, I think if you were to go to your local comic shop and pick it up, you wouldn't be lost when you read the first issue because I wasn't. Okay. Um, right. They clearly established who she is, what her motives are, and what she plans to do. Here's the line that really hooked it in for me. And it's, these things sound dodgy as hell. Still, money's money. And I felt that was just a perfect encapsulation of who Mm. this character is, so far as I've read it, from Dr. Alpha. Essentially, she's Indiana Jones, but an Indiana Jones who likes to get paid. Yeah. Mm. She is about the archaeological find. It is about the work for her, but she also has bills. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. So she needs to get paid. She's like a real Indiana Jones in that sense. (laughs) (laughs) So Pistol, let me ask you this, because I I also, based on our previous episode where we talked about the Marvel Star Wars comics, I also have tried a Star Wars book. I picked up uh, the first two issues of the new ongoing Bounty Hunters title. And um, yeah, and and I liked it enough to add it 
to my pull as well. Yep. But as because I, I, I picked that up because I thought, well, you guys are talking so highly about the stuff. And I figured though that was probably a book that I could pick up and not know anything about anything and still be able to follow it. Do you feel that that was the same case with Dr. Afra? Yes. Okay. Because I also picked up Bounty Hunters. Haven't read it yet, but I have issues one and two. Um, and what I, about you, Smurfy? Did you pick up, uh, Did you have you read issues one and two of Bounty Hunters? Yeah, uh, I read issue one. I have not read issue two. But I actually picked up Dr. How you pronounce it? Sorry, Afra? Afra. Way, way back. I know that none of this stuff's canon anymore. When they kind of first introduced her, and I kind of fell in love with her way back then. Oh, so it I, is. That's yeah. it. That's canon. Oh, is it awesome? Because I was really happy to see her again in Bounty Hunters. Yeah, that's right. She did show up in there. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm excited to read that. Then. Yeah. So yeah, she shows up with her with her Wookiee uh, sidekick, and it's really interesting. Well, that's what I mean. Doctor Impact and I at least have revisited. Is there anything you'd like us to revisit? Because we can revisit a lot. I hear Mister X is almost all the way done with season one of Titans. So. Look for that coming real soon. Real soon. But if there's anything you'd like an update on, let us know. Hit us up on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We're here for you guys. Those were our current issues, ladies and gentlemen. We hope you found the content entertaining and informative. Until our next installment, I am Mr. X. I am Dr. Impact. I'm Smurfy. Mob Danger, signing out. Encouraging everyone to remember that only you can prevent oversaturated comic book sales. Give a hoot. Give bad books the boot. That's our show, folks. Tell your friends and family about our program. What he means is you and everyone you know should subscribe, rate, and review our podcast on every app possible. Want to help support the show? Visit our Patreon page. We have a variety of incentives at multiple tiers, sure to satisfy any and all hardcore geeks. You can also follow us on social media where we post weekly comic picks, breaking news stories, and glimpses into our everyday geek lives. Until next time, keep your turtle shells waxed. <laughs> your power rings charged. And your proton packs primed. Ooh, what's this do? No, Smurfy! Not the containment unit! Our top stories for this episode include a discussion regarding the return of comic books back in shops. That was not the time to insert the tone. Sorry. That's right. That was not the time. (laughs) I was just excited. But that's a new tone. That's a new tone. (laughs) Pistol kills Murphy. All right. (laughs) Insert the tone. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that was dramatic, but we haven't done the call to the audience yet. So, a revisit to some of our back. (laughs) (laughs) Is that that right? Is that right? Choke. 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 (laughs) Now you can insert the tone. But you're really bad at this. Three weeks off, and you're bad at this. You're inserting the tone in the wrong places. (laughs) Got me again, Flash.